Would you turn with me to, in your Bibles to James chapter 4? The title of today's sermon is Peacemakers in Action. I don't know if you would call yourself a peacemaker or not, but that's um, the phrase that I was led to as it ties into the end of James chapter 3. The peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. The phrase was given to James because there was discontent, there was quarreling and fighting within the church, back and forth over different things. People were saying things with their words and their tongue that were uh, not good to each other. Um, we'll get into that some today. I was led to this chapter over the last two weeks because of um, a reminder of the, the violence and hatred that's in the world. In Charlottesville, Virginia, a couple weekends ago, there was a, a group that wanted to gather uh, and proclaim white supremacy, that people that are from this lineage or heritage are better than anyone else. And that's not the message of God. That's not the message of the Bible. And there was a group that came to protest that message and to say, that's wrong. But they didn't just come to protest. They decided, and it turned violent. And it really showed the world how terrible we can be to each other. So my thoughts and my processes of, of dealing with that and praying about how to share and encourage us to be working in the opposite direction. Now, for some of us, that fighting and quarreling is very close. It's within our homes. It's within our families. It's, uh, it's, it's with, with our neighbors. And that's just not a very peaceful environment to live in. And I encourage us to hear this, applying it to the church, and then seeing how that difference in our lives can affect the world in which we live in. Before we start, I want to thank Brenda, who is here today. Brenda gave me, and occasionally, Brenda Fortes in the back, she occasionally gives me some reading material, which helps me find references for sermons. And sometimes it's way more than I can go through, but I was able to find some today that she kind of put before me to help me illustrate some points in a sermon. So thanks, Brenda. I read some of it, but not all. Last week's sermon, Jesus Disciples have a combination, a great combination of godly desires, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. That is a passionate statement. You should be a people that have desire and live that life out, following Jesus, right? But there's also, we heard the word humility last week, submissive humility. Jesus demonstrated this perfectly in his life. He left. Jesus, the creator, the one who the Father created all things through Jesus, the person of power, right? Part of the Godhead, left it all. And he willingly submitted to the will of the Father, right? So we are to have that combination working together our lives. Sometimes it doesn't work out right, and we have fights and quarrels within the church. It's interesting that I heard a more more disruption this week after that sermon last week about fights and quarrels in a church than I've heard for some time. So maybe I'm just not listening close enough, right? I'm going to say it again. We need to commit our motives, our desires, our preferences to the Lord and say, is this, is this of you? And we need to talk together in, in peace and love with each other, even when we have a different opinion. And not get arms crossed and throwing words back and forth and saying, if they decide this, I am not coming back because this is not the paint color I would go with. All of you can't make that decision. Or song preference or whatever it might be. It's just I heard a lot about paint color this week. It's okay. 
there are bigger things that God wants us to be passionate about than the paint that's on the color that's on the walls downstairs. You got me, church? Amen? Okay, so here we go. I want you to think of the sermon points this morning in our lives in response to this, uh, a little bit like a time-lapse video. How many of you know what that means? Right? So a video which captures something which goes on for hours, maybe like the, the movement of the celestial stars at night captured by a video, and then you see it happening real quickly, right? Or a, a, a sun, sunrise. Leah did this at, at uh, our vacation a couple weeks ago at North Carolina, a sunrise, beautiful sunrise coming up, and she was just sitting there perfectly for like for 20 minutes capturing it. And then the last like 30 seconds, we see like this tall youth, young man type figure going back in front and like making funny poses on the camera. That would have been Matthew, placing himself within the time-lapse sunrise. I was going to show that for you this morning, but it didn't work out. But I I want you to think about these things, um, these points which we gain from Scripture playing out in our lives for the purpose of us being who God wants us to be, number one, but ultimately then for us to impact the world, all right, to impact the world for God as we sing, are you able Right? And we commit our spirits to him and let him do a work in us and say, yes, Lord, I'm able. Right? Let's see what the word says, James chapter 4. We're picking up in verse 7. So listen for James' encouragement, his commands, and we'll dig into this text together. James says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's a good promise. Resist temptation. Resist the devil. Resist, resist your addictions to sin. And he'll flee from you. And then an invitation. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning, and your joy to gloom. That's all the part of humility and recognizing sin in our lives. He says this, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. And he will lift you up. That's a great promise. Verse 11, brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? So apparently in the church, there was a lot of people who could see the faults of, the, of their neighbor, the person next to them saying, I don't know why they dress like this. They are just mm-mm-mm. Or, look at this. But James is saying, wait a second, stop looking at everyone else and let's look at ourselves. Stop saying these things about others and take a a look at ourselves. Now, the whole of Scripture says that we are to hold each other accountable in love in the church. Speak the truth in love. Okay? We're not to judge those outside the church who don't know and haven't submitted to God. But in here, if a brother or sister is caught in a sin, we're to go to them. We're to go to them and speak the truth in love. And Jesus says, but Jesus says, not until we first examine our own self 
and do what? Take the plank out of our own eye so we can see clearly to address the other person. But when it's just flying back and forth in the church, James says, we got to stop this. He says this to some of the merchants, perhaps, and maybe to all of us. Verse 13, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this or to that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? He says, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and you brag. All such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. I'm going to share with you three points this morning using some alliteration to help, maybe help you remember it. General, general statements on how we live our lives as followers of Jesus. The first one I think is a priority to following the next two. Then The second and third can come uh, together and they all can mix together. But the first one is uh, an attitude or of humility before the Lord. And the title of the, the point is called Prostrate Before God. What's the counter to hate? Love, all right? So when we see hatred playing out in the world, the opposite reaction is love. The ability to love like Jesus is only possible when we surrender and we say, Lord, help me to do that. Help me to do that. And let God take over and do his amazing thing through us. Someone once said, no great accomplishment is achieved without great sacrifice. If you're troubled by the evil in this world and want to contribute to countering hatred with love, then consider what God might do through you and through us, the church, as we surrender our lives for his glory. Wouldn't it be a great accomplishment if the church impacts a community by putting the desires of our flesh to death and then we find life in offering our bodies to God, speaking to people in the community who are dealing with hatred or experiencing hatred. We interact with them. We speak. We build relationships. We give. We serve. We teach. And we even might protect for God's glory as we become living sacrifices. James instructs us with a clear and encouraging phrase. This doesn't need a whole lot of exegetical work. He says, submit yourselves to God. Yield. You got to yield. We have to yield. We can't be in control. God's in control. James makes this statement in the first few verses of the text last week. He says, friendship with the world, which I believe he means embracing the practices and beliefs of those who are not submitted to God's will, they're driven by selfish desires. He says, don't do that. If you're a friend with the world, you're an enemy to him. By implication then, or by flipping that around, he says, instead of being friends with the world, be friends with God. Be friends with God. Jesus said to his disciples, you are my friends if you do what I command. I believe this point, this being prostrate before God, is the, is the foundational point. It's the first position for us moving into being the people that God wants us to be. 
If Amy were here this morning, I would have her demonstrate the first position of ballet. I tried in the first service. It's something like we feed her out like this. And <laughs> If we were considering the first position of your apprenticeship or your job, you think back to your first job. Man, what was my first job? The first position. You can think back to the job you had as a youth uh, or as someone coming out of high school. If we think about the first position of the church, we think about someone who recognizes God for who he is. A God who is the creator of the world and everything we see in, right? Those that call the eclipse on Monday, the total eclipse, a cosmic coincidence, are not recognizing that there's an ultimate creator who put this, the light, the sun, and the stars, and then the moon to govern the night in the right place, in the right space, in the right shape. The first position recognizes God's authority as the lawgiver and judge who is able to save and destroy. We recognize that. The one whom we are accountable to is God Almighty. Scripture says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. It's much better for us if we do that now out of our free uh, free choice to do that. I'm choosing to do that. I recognize that God's the one that I'm going to have to account to someday. He's the one who determines who gets to be with him in eternity for heaven or not. It's not me. The first position for someone of faith in submission is God's provision for our physical needs. God sends the rain and the water and the crops for us. We thank the Lord for our daily bread, right? God's the one who provides for our spiritual needs. We thank Jesus for the cross. And we thank God for the spirit that he's placed within us. And the person who is recognizing who God is recognizes that God is sovereign God who is in charge over every generation. And these recognitions then lead to a response within us that cannot be forced or induced by any other. I can't make this decision for you. Parents, we can't make it for our children, but we pray that they do, right? We pray that we raise them up in the truth, and when they're old, they won't depart from it. They'll say, I'm choosing this. I'm saying I'm recognizing God in all his ways and who he is, and I want to know him more, and I'm submitting my life. I can't choose that for my daughter or my son, but I pray that they would see it and they would grow in it. The response, though, is similar than for us. The psalmist says it in Psalm 48, I desire or I delight to do your will, O my God. Our recognition of God for who he is leads to our submission to him and willingly humbling of self. A couple of accounts in the Bible is where we actually see people then reach this position physically, prostrate. Now, I use that as a title because for me, when I'm laying prostrate before God, it means I recognize who he is and I can get in that physical position. Some of you can't do that at this point in your life physically. That's okay. But it really means that our heart has been circumcised, cut, reacted, and our mind is there too. That's what we're looking for. When we read about Elijah in 1 Kings 18, 39, there's a battle between Elijah 
and the, the, the prophets of Baal. And Elijah called down fire from heaven to consume the sacrifice which is on the altar, right? He had already dumped buckets of water on it just to prove the point that God was able to do this. And this was the one true God. He called down lightning from heaven and God sent the lightning and it consumed the sacrifices, right? The people cried out, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. As they fell on their faces in submission to God. When King David, here's another scenario. When King David and the leaders of the people had collected offerings and money, they were going to build a great temple so that God could be there among his people. Right? David wasn't going to build it, but Solomon was. But David was in charge of collecting funds, and they gathered all these things, as it tells us in 1 Chronicles 29. David then, they were all rejoicing because they, everyone was generous. And they said a prayer of submission and humility by recognizing God's greatness. It says, yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. That's a great submissive prayer, right? And when finished, David said to the people, Praise the Lord your God. And they did as they bowed down low. They prostrated themselves in worship before the Lord. James says, submit yourselves then to God. If you've been on the wrong path, paying more attention to being friends with the world, dressing like the world, engaged in the thought and the speech and the practices of the world, the dialogue of the world, then being friends with God, the right thing to do is to repent and to turn to God. Remember from last week in James 4, 6, when James is telling the people like, you stop doing this, you adulterous people. He says, but listen, he gives us more grace. God gives us grace to overcome our failures. Aren't you glad about that this morning? The times where we've like really pursued the ways of the world or my addictions and my selfishness. I'm like, oh Lord, my sin, my shame. He gives us grace to turn around and come back. We praise God for that. So bow low and seek the Lord's forgiveness. In just a few moments, we're looking into the end of this chapter where James says, hey, it's not just the things that you're doing. It's sometimes the things that you're not doing, which is the sin, right? So if we realize that, turning around and and, and bowing low in perfect submission is also an appropriate response. The encouraging word from James is this. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Right? Stop, don't fight God. You won't win that. But if you humble yourself before the Lord, he will lift you up. Right? Now this doesn't mean, this is not the, this is not the uh, prosperity gospel. He's going to give you six cars. He's going to lift you to the biggest house on the block. He is going to give you, he's going to expand your land ten times. Not necessarily. It's not what it's saying. He will lift you up. He will lift you away from the actions of sin which separate you from God, right? You humble yourself before God, he'll lift you up. Ultimately, he'll lift you up if you turn and submit to God for salvation. He'll lift you into an eternal salvation, freedom from your debts and your sins. He will lift you up to be participating with his work and his action to a life of purpose and meaning. He will lift you up to becoming a life giver. Submission and humility should play out daily in our decision to follow Jesus. Jesus said this to his disciples, if you want to follow me, you must pick up your cross every once in a couple years and follow me. That's not right, is it? Pick up your cross daily. This is a daily submission. Lord, I'm willing today to submit to you and follow you. It's a good thing. It's what he wants. 
But we can also let this play out in our lives as we choose him, including him to read, read his word, listen to his devotions. Our hearts and minds along with our body can bow before the Lord in prayer throughout the day. So I encourage all of us this week, as we encounter the different things of our week, the decisions, the processes, the, the good things and the hard things, to have the mindset to say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done for your glory. So the first frame of our action step is uh, as we try to become peacemakers that live out a life of, of being peacemakers in action, is to have our hearts and our minds aligned properly in an attitude of submission and humility before God so the church can be all that she can be. Here's the next position. It's called purging the bad. Now, purging the bad, step number two here, along with practicing the good, they, they can happen in any kind of order, sequence, back and forth, right? But I believe submission, prostrating before God is ultimately the first step. These next two can go however they want to go. Um, I told the story in the first service about working on my grandparents' farm back in Bedford County, New Enterprise. We would often gather as grandsons and, and a couple granddaughters, along with my aunts and uncles and parents, to help with um, harvesting sweet corn, for one thing. We would carry the bags through the field. Pap says, don't drag the bag, right? And husk them all or do some work around there. We would get dirt on our hands throughout the course of the morning, stacking wood, firewood, and we would all come in the back porch. I can see the sink in the corner. We would line up at that sink, and there was some really coarse green soap. We were running clear water into that sink, but we would start to scrub down, and the dirt would come off. And I'd say, man, look how brown that water is. Look at the dirt that just came off of me. But we had to wash off the dirt so we could participate in eating lunch. Now, don't get into the theology of that. It's not what's on the outside that makes you unclean. It's right the inside. It was an example to illustrate that there was some dirt on me that I had to get off before I could eat lunch. James writes to the church. He says, wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded As we humble ourselves before the Lord and realize this is an ongoing process, the confession of wrongdoing and purging the bad from our lives will be an ongoing action. The great promise of James gives to us through our submission and our desire to draw near to God is that he will draw near to us. One area of special focus for James in the first century church that we're going to tap into a little bit today is the misuse of speech. James commands, do not slander one another. Slanders evil, malicious talk intended to damage or destroy another person. It's intent, right? And I'm even going to take it so far to say that you wait, something that you might not even intend to be hurtful or harm talk may hurt someone else. So it's good for us to gauge our words. But he says, do not slander. You look at chapter 3 and chapter 4 of the book of James, and he gives a quite a bit of time to this topic for the first century church. Unfortunately, the problems still exist in the church and within society. Preachers have to continue to remind followers of Jesus to tame their tongue. James writes this, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men and women who have been made in God's likeness. This is not right. You know, in a dry land, a wildfire can spread very quickly with just a spark, right? With a careless campfire, with a cigarette butt, flames and whole areas can be caught on fire. One time driving north 
in California, north of LA. We were heading north to go see some big trees, and there was fires on both sides of the road. I never saw that before. 